The reading today is Revelations chapter 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, he has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing in the centre of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousand upon thousand, and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne, and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain, to receive power and wealth, and wisdom and strength, and honour and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and on the sea, and all that is in them, singing, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honour and glory and power for ever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. Good morning, church. I guess all of us have a favourite passage of scripture. It may be a particular verse. It may be a paragraph. My favourite portion of scripture is the one that we've just read out, Revelation chapter 5. And I want to share this morning a few insights into that passage and why it's my favourite passage of scripture. In Revelation chapter 4, John describes a marvellous vision of God on the throne in heaven and with the elders and the angels and worshipping this God. But then when we get into Revelation chapter 5, <clears throat> there's a, a hesitation in this vision. It seems heaven itself 
is not without its problems. Someone is asking a question, and it's a question which does not seem to have an immediate answer. See, from the throne, John's eyes turn to the scroll described in chapter 5, verses 1 to 3. I want to suggest here we have a great drama being described for us. And we won't understand, we won't be able to appreciate what John is getting at here unless we understand what this scroll represents. And fortunately, that issue is not much in doubt. There are pieces of evidence which help us come to a verdict on what the scroll is. First of all, we need to notice the similarity between this scroll in Revelation 5 and the one which the prophet Ezekiel in the Old Testament was given immediately after Ezekiel's opening vision. There is a clear parallel between these two scrolls, as both of them, it is said, they were written on both sides. An unusual thing to say about a scroll. Written on both sides brings across the idea that the scroll was crammed with detail. And in Ezekiel chapter 2, we are told the contents of the scroll. Words of lament, words of mourning, words of woe. Strong implications that this scroll in Revelation 5 has something, therefore, to do with divine judgment just as Ezekiel scroll did. The second thing to notice is what happens in the rest of the book of Revelation as the, the seals on the scroll are eventually broken. The answer is, as those seals are broken, things happen in history. The opening of the scroll seems to indicate the unfolding of God's purposes in the last days of human history. And the third thing is to notice further reference to a scroll is found in the book of Revelation. You can go to chapter 13 verse 8, chapter 17 verse 8, where it describes the book of life, a scroll of life. And in that scroll are the names of the redeemed ever since the creation of the world. And that scroll in chapter 13 and chapter 17, we are told, belongs by right to the lamb that was slain. And that reference to the lamb that was slain clearly points back, I think, to chapter 5 and strongly suggests that this book of life, this scroll of life in chapter 13, chapter 17, and this scroll in chapter 5 are one and the same thing. If we put all that evidence together, what do we have? Well, this is, if you like, the scroll is the missing script. Here is God's plan for history. Here is God's plan to judge the world. Here is God's plan to redeem his chosen people. It's all there. There is no detail omitted. But as John, the writer of Revelation, looks, this is still a secret and unfulfilled plan. 
The scroll is sealed with seven seals. And this is where we come to the extraordinary thing. Nobody, nobody can break those seals. Now, what an extraordinary suggestion that is. Here are the eternal decrees of God, and they cannot be carried out. Here are the names of the chosen ones of God, the elect of God, and they can't be called out. Here is the final judgment of God, and it can't be passed out. And what John is trying to show us in a very dramatic way is here is a universe whose future hangs in the balance. Like a a great ship standing on the runway, waiting to be launched. God's plan of salvation stands poised, waiting for someone to cut the ribbons and launch history upon its final voyage. But who? Who can do that? It's not strength that's required, or a mighty angel could do it. No, God is looking for some special kind of virtue. Who is worthy? And the challenge goes out to the entire universe, human beings and angels. Nobody responds. Nobody dare claim the right to be worthy to open the scrolls, the scroll and break the seals. I wept and wept, says John. Now, I think those tears of John are the echo of countless millions of human beings who find themselves frustrated by the apparent invincibility of evil. It always go wrong, goes wrong, people say. But can God's eternal purpose be thwarted? That's the ultimate question. And as John looks in this drama, even the angels are asking that question. Look at verse 5. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. That's a reference to the Messiah, prophesied, predicted in the prophets, the son of David. Here is the leading man, the hero we are looking for. He is the one who would trigger this final flow of world history. He is the one who can do it. And where is he? Well, John says, look for a lion. That's what he is, the lion of the tribe of Judah. You look for a lion in in this drama. But when John looked, it wasn't a lion he saw. Look at verse 6. And then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by four living creatures and elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into the earth. The lamb. You know, in all of John's symbolism, and there is very, very much in Revelation, in all of John's metaphors, in Revelation, there is, I, I don't think there's a, a greater masterstroke than what John says here. 
It seems to me it would take a a whole book written in in prose to capture the poignancy, the, the paradox that is encapsulated here in a single stroke of visual metaphor, the lamb. See, here is a lamb, a beast of weakness, a beast of harmlessness, innocent, most of all for the Jew, a beast of sacrifice, a lamb as it had looked in that, as it had been slain. But this lamb is not lying prostrate on a butcher's slab. He is standing regal. He has horns, seven of them, symbols of power. He has eyes, seven of them, symbols of those archangels which serve the throne of heaven. This is no mild and balmy, dreamy bar lamb. He bears the mark of recent suffering. But these are the wounds of war. For this is the conquering ram that John sees. And with prophetic genius in this dramatic way in which John writes, John has fused together two images. The image of the Passover lamb of the Old Testament and the image taken from other apocalyptic writings of the triumphant ram. He's brought them together to show us how in this paradoxical way God's victory comes out of suffering. Achievement has come out of apparent failure. Now, this morning, I just want you to notice two things about the Lamb. Just two. But they could arguably be the most, or the two most important things in the whole book of Revelation. First of all, I want you to notice the pivotal significance of the cross in human history. Look at verse 9. They sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language, people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Not because of the glorious person he was by nature, being the Son of God. Not because of the decisive role he played in creation as the Word of God, but because of what he accomplished in time and history as the Lamb of God. That's what qualifies this one to open the book of life and judgment. Yes, the the script, the scroll is sealed and those seals can only be broken on the basis of something Jesus Christ achieved within history. The fulfillment of God's purposes in history are contingent Upon the cross. Until that decisive event, the outcome of the drama was not a foregone conclusion as far as the actors and the audience we are concerned. The director, in a sense, was keeping us in suspense, and until his hero made his entrance, the angel had to go on asking the question 
who is worthy. And only now, in the aftermath of the cross, is heaven able to sing a new song. What John is saying here is that heaven sees Calvary, the cross of Jesus, as the turning point of history. And the blood shed there was absolutely necessary to enable God to forgive men and for God's purposes to work itself out. No more world-shattering event has ever occurred than the cross. For, says John, that cross has changed human history. It's changed the unchangeable, in a sense. It's changed heaven. Do you notice they sing a new song now, ever since the cross? Do you see what I mean when I say the pivotal significance of the cross? And the second thing I want to draw your attention to is this. The unique position of Jesus. Do you notice where he is? He's not standing around the throne with the elders and the living creatures. Where is he? He's on the throne, says John, at the centre of the throne, verse 6. And more than that, the Lamb shares the chorus of adoration that surrounds the throne. The elders and the living creatures sing to him, you are worthy. And when they are finished, their song, their song, they are joined by an innumerable number of the heavenly host. And they sing, verse 12, worthy is the lamb who was slain. And scarcely have they finished when the chorus is taken up by the whole of creation, every creature in heaven, verse 13. And you will not find in the whole of the Bible a scene more triumphant, a scene more stunning in its splendor, a scene more gripping in its spectacle than this one. Who is the Lamb? Well, of course, it is Jesus. And can anyone be in any doubt that John believed in the divinity, the deity of Jesus? This is the Jesus we worship this morning. And listen, this glorious, majestic Jesus consents to be our saviour, consents to be our friend. I hope you can see why this passage is my favourite passage of scripture.